Welcome to the Stepping Out of Line podcast hosted by me, Leo Gibbons. This podcast examines those who have, in their own way, stood out from the crowd and stood by what they believe in. If you share my fascination with public figures who are not afraid to be themselves and follow their own path, this might just be the podcast for you. And now, to the preamble. I can reel off at the top of my head so many campaigners for secular values in the UK that I admire. Mariam Namazi, Kenan Malik, Sarah Khan, Peter Tatchell, Trevor Phillips. But I can't name any who have been involved in formal party politics. Apart from one, who is today's guest, Amina Lone. Amina caught my eye in 2015 when she was running to be the Labour MP for Morecambe. She was independent-minded, engaging, and, well, unlike most other politicians. But a few years ago, she was booted out of the Manchester Labour Party and her political career was over. In her view, she was deselected for daring to challenge religious fundamentalism in her community and stand up for the rights of women and girls. Her local party said she was let go for her poor campaigning record. In this wide-ranging podcast we discuss her experience campaigning for the rights of women and the backlash she received. We discuss what it means to be a coward and what it means to be a team player in politics. We talk about moves by campaigners to amend the Equality Act to add in de facto blasphemy laws. We talk about Labour's collusion with the bribery system of clan politics and the impact this has within marginalised communities. And we talk about my decision to reject the APPG on British Muslims' definition of Islamophobia and the impact it had on my very, very short career. When you listen to this podcast, you'll likely hear a bit more trepidation and hesitation in my voice than usual. And that isn't just because of the audio issues we had. It's because we talked about complicated and sensitive issues. And I am acutely aware of the risks we face when talking about these issues, particularly as a white, non-Muslim man. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's long and it's heavy. Here with me today is Amina Lone, ex-Labour councillor and ex-prospective parliamentary candidate who stood for the Labour Party unsuccessfully in Malcolm and Loonsdale in a 2015 general election. Amina, thanks for joining me today. I described you just then as an ex-Labour councillor. But that doesn't quite tell the entire picture. You were deselected, essentially sacked by your colleagues in the Manchester Labour Party after seven years as a councillor. That's quite a dramatic thing to happen and quite a fall from grace. Five years on, how do you look back at the episode? Is there is there bitterness or are you happy to... Happy to be out of the Labour Party and out of politics. Hi, hi, Leo. Um, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It's a real um, pleasure to be here, and um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. And especially with that fiery start and introduction, <laughs> you know, it's like no holds bar. We're going to go shots fired as soon as we started. Um, 
uh, but a, a, I think a fair, a fair enough assumption. Um, sorry, fair enough for a statement. Do how do I feel five years? No, no, absolutely. I was um, definitely not bitterness. I don't have. I, I don't carry time for bitterness. Bitterness is a. It's like hatred. It eats you inside out. So there's no point. And but also because even though you know my fall from grace <laughs> was a uh, something, uh, it also the experience, the overall experience of being within the Labour Party, the uh, friendships, the the moments of um, you know real solidarity, and the work that we did, all of that doesn't get wiped away just because of that ending. And for me, you know, I, I learned some incredible lessons. Some very painfully, some very naively, but also some with, um, you know, that have carried me through and I'll carry, you know, for the rest of my life. So now I, I'm extremely happy to be out of the Labour Party. <laughs> I'm not a member. I, you know, as soon as I could, I left. As soon as I was, my term was over and joined the uh, membership of the National Trust, who, you know, it was, a be- it was a much better spent. Uh, subs every month you know what I mean but I felt like I got a better return from that uh, but um, it was interesting as well because I had been wanting to leave for a while I was, re- I was uncomfortable and very unhappy um, and had been consulting people who were more senior than me in the party about leaving but it wasn't it's not the done thing you know it's that you're not supposed to really leave and there was but there's lots of issues about women pair, you know parental commitments for males and females actually but if you're single parents if you're on low incomes if you if you're not employed by a, a politician or the trade union then actually it's quite a luxury to be able to you know be a, a, a local councillor most people that do it are working in fields where they can but if you're a nurse you can't be a local councillor it, it just, it's not possible if you're a teacher you can't be if you're a teaching assistant so I think that you know, there's inclusion and exclusion within the whole system anyway. And I was looking um, to leave because I was deeply uncomfortable with the way that the Labour Party was continually heading um, around extremism within the party, but also um, the... I'm finding it hard to articulate the words because, I, you know, you start, I think you don't want to you don't want to say anything that you should have or you're that you're going to regret. But I suppose what I'm saying is, I, yeah, I just didn't like the way the party was heading and that wasn't about individuals. It's about the power structures within the party. And for me, the party was set up and based on values of addressing inequality within our society. And if you're not doing that on a fundamental level, then it wasn't for me. It's interesting that you mentioned the power structures within the party. And he also talks about the importance of solidarity in the Labour Party. And that's actually where a lot of your positive experiences come from, that that sense of solidarity. From my experience or knowledge of the Labour Party is MPs are very rarely deselected if they have the party's leadership supporting them. Local councillors are very rarely deselected by their members if the local party leadership the lo- the local structures of the party machine are supportive of them the Labour party bureaucracy as it's called that would, absolutely I would I would agree with that at the point of your deselection what what had happened you'd said at the time that the party had a particular problem with black and minority ethnic women 
and that your deflection was a punishment for speaking out and a warning to others not to speak out, it sounds like there was a real lack of solidarity. Or by that point where you already, actually, I don't want to be a counsellor because I have so many time and childcare commitments by this point. Um, by that point, I didn't want to, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't feel that I, um, that I could be a counsellor in the most effective way that I wanted to be and be a parent as well. And at the end of the day, you've got to put your family first. And I'm a single, you know, I was a single parent. I've always, um, you know, there were my first project as I sometimes say, you know what I mean? And, and you know, they they were a challenging project, but God love them. Do you know what I mean? I loved them and, and I still do and they were great, but it, it was extremely challenging. But also it was, um, it was, it was also to do with the fact that I was writing about children, um, Muslim girls in under 16 years old being encouraged to wear hijabs and cover their heads, but also what that comes with is also cover your body and be very aware of your physical, um, your physicality and how how men are going to react to that and then make it the responsibility of the girl. So you, you become, so you sexualize and become very aware of your physicality rather than just being a young child. I was writing about that and I'd been warned off about it through various networks because it's, you know, we're all interconnected in our various ways. And I, I, it was too much and, you know, somebody had contacted somebody, people close to me and said that, look, you know, her writing about the women and the, that's, uh, you know, we can overlook that. Literally, this was a conversation I had, you know, they, we can overlook, that's all right, but she's gone too far now. She needs to leave the, you know, the, short, the girls alone and she needs to stop. And we, and we know where she lives. And so these are, these are the kind of things, that, these are conversations I was having as that, while this deselection kind of attempts were also going on. It's bittersweet. People tell me things. Even now, I get Labour councillors, members, and he's telling me things that I, I left the party five years ago. People tell me things about what goes on in the party now still. Like, so I don't go out and, you know, I'm not, you know, omnipresent. I could be everywhere and hear all these things. This is, you know, so people were saying that, people, you know, the men were very unhappy. There the wasn't men that had gone too far than that. They were all now, all the different fractions of ethnic minority kind of political groups were now coalescing and getting together <laughs> to kind of get me deselected. And, you know, they did it on a technicality. But it was enough to get me to have to go for an interview. And it's that bureaucratic process. It is not an accident that we don't have HR within our political party. It is by design that we have that. Nothing's independent. It's all done within, you know, that, that sphere. So that's, you know, that, that was the context of me. You know, I wrote pieces where I said that, you know, this is unacceptable as a Labour Party. We should not be appeasing this kind of cultural and religious extremism and obviously the leg party didn't want to hear that but it was not the first time that i've been told to shut up by by the party kind of powers i've been told to shut up when i was writing about white with working class people so because the leg party just when you're writing these articles were they just if you, if you said to white colleagues in the manchester leg party that i'm receiving you know, this this is kind of intimidation that I'm receiving, or this is the backlash I'm receiving, and you try and broach the subject with them. How do they react? And most of them just go, "Look, this is a 
this is a Muslim issue or this is a minority group issue. I don't want to hear about it. Or did you did you get any support, any solidarity? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, there there is definitely um, the Red Princes and Princesses of the Labour Party, the old boys network and the old girls network. They are equally as elitist and uh, exclusive as any other power grouping within, you know, an organisation. So, you know, and, and they use people for their own, you know, to, to get themselves within positions of power and reward people, you know, grace and favour. You know, it, it, it's there for a reason. But I did get support and there were, there were, there were definitely individuals, individuals that I'm still friends with now. You know, there's people like, um, you know, the, the, there's some people I can't name because it would be unfair to name them. So I don't want to do that. But there are people like, you know, Val Stevens. I always call Dame Val Stevens who should have got, you know, some honourage after serving as the deputy leader of Manchester Council. Who was just she either she's a stalwart, but also she walked the way she talked. Her feminist values were that she stood with you, whether you you know, regardless of what it cost her. And so there were people like that who do and there's there's really dear friends of mine who are still in the party. Um so there were solidarity, but as as officially, no. Because officially, you have to have proof. And of course, you're not going to get proof because so much of this is done candlestine. It's done behind closed doors. You know, you would have to record people or you'd have to forward emails. And the intimidation is horrific. The treatment, I, I you know, I got, I got, I got two calls this year from Muslim Pakistani counsellors who called me and said, Mina, you need to write about this. We're being bullied and I'm going to leave, but, you know, we can't, there's nothing, you know, they're not listening. So this issue about how we, ethnic minority women are treated in the party is, you know, we've covered it up, the whole bribery system and the way that we've covered it up for votes. And I, I, this is probably going to, I shouldn't probably say it like that, you know, uh, adamantly, but that's what I believe, that we cover it up because the men within the community are in a more powerful position, bartering position with a political party like the Labour Party than the women. And so the Labour Party puts it cloth accordingly and says, well, these are the people that we need to defend and these are the people that we need to, um, you know, cut loose. And I guess from my experience in the Labour Party, I think the thing that I found most difficult about politics and navigating the sort of political realm was never... I, I use this kind of... Dif, had to differentiate between friends and allies. A friend will sort of... There will be a deeper level bond, a shared understanding in which they will have your support, even if it's be detrimental to their own gain. When an ally is someone that you may be politically aligned with, that you might be quite pally with, but actually fundamentally your relationship is transactional. And it's, you know, I support you, you support me. And we'll help each other out. And it'd be interesting to know your experience of when push comes to shove, there are some colleagues who will go, actually, I mean, I think what you're saying is really right. And I will stick my neck out and support you, even if it will damage my career. But there'll be red princes and red princesses in the Labour Party going, Please stop talking about these issues that are making things really difficult. That actually, why do you have to complicate things? Why why do you have to go there? 
could could you focus on other issues? And I'm not going to back you publicly. I might give you some words of support in private, but I'm not going to publicly come out and support you. Was my experience and your experience similar in that you found out who your friends are in these experiences? Very similar. Your experience really resonates with uh, uh, what I'm saying and uh, what what uh, my experience was and what you were saying. And also, the the uh, what's really interesting is you saying those statements. You know, I'm I'm sitting here with a smile on my face, you know, just laughing because I'm like, yep, tick, yep, 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 yep. You know, I've got them. All. You know, it's, it's it's like bingo. Do you know what I mean? It's like um, we're gonna hang you high, bingo. You shall be punished. You know what I mean? Um, shame, shame, shame. The thing is that I didn't. You do. You. It's a journey. It's that thing about. You go in, it's what do you go in for? I went in extremely naive. You know, I would say extremely stupid if I was being ungenerous, but, you know, let's be extremely naive. With all the hopes of you going, you want to change the world. You know, and I and I hold my hands up. Even as a big adult woman with four kids, I still went in with that belief. You know, I still want to do that now. So that value is what I took in. But it is very cynical and it's an environment where lots of people get hooked on, on power. Small power, I'm talking about power with a very small P, it gives them power and status in their little small pond. And so they will keep hold of it and they don't care what it takes to keep hold of it. Because they still want to be, you know, um, the glass king or queen of their pond. So that's the, And that's the majority of people. Most people won't stand up and be counted. And I don't think that the politics is unusual with that. I think the difference is in politics is more ruthless. So if you are um, strung up, then it costs you a lot more um and what you give is very, if you're, I believe that you, every human being should give, has a duty to other human beings. I believe me, me and you, they have some responsibility to each other as humans, as you know, humanity and that we should serve. But that principle isn't taught in terms of politics. You're not, we don't have, we don't train people to be politicians. There is no code of conduct. There might be codes of conduct locally or whatever, but there's no kind of national thing. And to bring it back, because I've kind of, you know, taken it off, is my, your experience and my experience resonate because people don't stick their head up. But it is also indicative of an environment where we're being dishonest as, as a party. Because while we say that we fight for equality, and maybe at the start of the 20th century when it was formed and we had all these brilliant societies being formed and we were, you know, bringing in reforms and some kind of social civic society, it may have, and it did, but in the 21st century, in 2022, are we really the party of equality? We've only ever elected white men. And okay, you, they may not like the brown people that get elected by the other side, but it is something that you know, it, it, it goes down in history and it's measurable. So for the Labour Party to tell me to shut up or tell you to shut up, it reflects badly on them in the end because, you know, I'm coming from a very poor working class background. You know, in every tick, I would, you know, I would be supporting a party that believes in, you know, social justice, as I'm sure you would. But we're both, well, I'm certainly an ex-member and, I, and I'm campaigning um, for women's rights. And the thing that I suppose, <laughs> I want to give you an example. I, 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 it's really interesting because one of my friends is also an ex-member. She was white, middle class, younger. She was told that she could be rehabilitated and so she needed to distance herself from me because, and this is by, you know, an MP, a nice red princess, 
He said, you will be collared by association. Now think about that statement that wow. you'll be followed by association and she goes and you know she could be rehabilitated and it's so funny because i you know i can laugh it up now because i just think wow the fact that they thought that one our friendship would would not you know survive that but two that that that's the reality of it if you'd hold no power for them then they will not stand up for you i i just wonder if so many so many individuals try and you know climb that greasy pole and duck and dive difficult questions in the hope that they one day reach a stage in which they have that the safety net of influence so if they become a senior mp they might be able now to truly express themselves but i think actually that kind of slippery ladder up to the very top is so difficult and very few ever reach the very top and become prime minister or leader of the party that they are always, you know, having to make those compromises and not quite speak their mind and speak what they truly believe. So you just end up, you know, in this culture and those who make it to the top are just, you know, kind of androids um, who might be who might be willing to ditch their friends because their association with them is going to be damaging. But you know what? Yeah, I... I... I, I think I, I kind of agree and disagree because I think that there's agency within that. And people are not being forced. You know, you know, people are people. Um, if you're a member of a member of parliament in the the UK, it's an extremely privileged position. You know, it's one of the most privileged positions in the world. So you're not hard done by. You know, you 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 might have to make difficult choices, but so does the nurse that's mopping up. You know, somebody's blood on the you know the floor or the cleaner that's having to bathe. You know, an elderly person. You know, what we measure is difficult is really interesting when we think about status and who holds status in our society. And again, if you're a local councillor and you're making decisions based on um, primary care or, you know, children's or adult and social care or education versus, you know, whether you're going to fund the local bus service or a local library, you know, they're, they're, they're really difficult decisions uh, and they may weigh, you know, heavily on somebody's kind of moral conscience or whatever. But in terms of your, but you're still in the privileged position, and you're still putting yourself forward in the privileged position. And I think that it comes back to you know rights and responsibilities. For me, you know, I I believe that we as a, I have a faith. I, I you know I'm a Muslim woman. I practice my faith. I it, my, those principles of of Islam and uh, and a, and a real spiritual Islam of compassion and love and humanity and knowledge. And in Quran, it says knowledge so many times more than it does say anything else. And justice that's what drives me so when i you know went into the late party and believe that this party was standing for those you know we were aligned in our values and then people don't behave like that when it comes to either personal decisions or political decisions it's it's really quite discombobulating because you're just like okay well why are you um not supporting other women or why are you not supporting the uh person who's I'll give you an example. We had one woman that came to, who's a, a counsellor now, and she came, you know, it was an Asian woman whose family were, somebody came down to their house and basically they were told that, you know, she shouldn't stand for selection because they wanted somebody else to stand, a man, obviously, and, you know, intimidated their family. She reported it to the Women's Forum. The Women's Forum asked my opinion. I said, you need to lock it all, do it all formally. They brushed it under the carpet. That's what happens. We brush in the Labour Party. We brush things under the carpet. 
And it's that kind of, it's the same thing as, uh, you know, it's similar to the kind of collusion of silence of child abuse or sex abuse or racism or, you know, anti-Semitism. We brush it under the carpet and the Labour Party are masters at it. I guess it's, you know, institutional failings come from a culture of something goes wrong. How do we protect ourselves, not the individuals threatened with harm? How do we protect our reputations as an institution, as individuals, rather than those affected by the bad failings that are happening or the issues that are happening? One thing I did want to ask you about was right to Parliament in Morecambe and that being a, a very white area. I wondered, and I might be completely wrong, that you chose to run in a seat in Morecambe, which was then you know, a target seat. Labour needs to win Morecambe if we're to form a government. That there was maybe part of you hoping to get away from, to have more freedom to speak on these issues affecting the Muslim community and Muslim women in particular, if you were in a white constituency in a predominantly white Labour Party, that you would have a distance, that you could separate yourself from the intimidation or the those accusations if you represented a seat that was separate. I mean, did that was that ever part of your thought process to actually get away from Manchester Gorton CLP? You know, I, I wish I wish I was that kind of like you know. No, I don't wish I was that ruthless or that kind of, you know, like, you know, and I never wanted to be an, an MP. I, I never, I don't now. It, I, it was a purely accident. I had a friend, friends were encouraging me and then I, you know, just saying, go on, do it. And I was like, oh, let's just do it on a whim, you know, let's apply. And then you <laughs> get shortlisted and you're like, oh, oh, okay. And then I, that, you know, I did want to pull out at various points, but you basically what happens is you start this snowball and you cannot catch it. So you're going to have to roll with this now because... You know, and even after I was selected, I still had a conversation with people who I seek political counsel from about withdrawing because I didn't expect to get selected. You know, this was not a plan that was that, you know, I sat there like um, many that I know who are in the shadow cabinet now at 60 and I said, oh, I, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go work in MP's office and in the union. And one day I'm going to be, you know, the shadow minister of um, cows, you know, or whatever you are of. Um, no, no disrespect to cows. I love them, <laughs> um, but you know, it's that thing about. So it was purely accidental. In, in the sense, I applied. It wasn't accidental. I applied. I sent the application in, but it wasn't something that I did gave serious consideration to, and certainly not to that depth. <laughs> I wish I had that kind of depth of analysis, but I didn't have that experience because I came to the party very late. You know. Well, um, this yeah, that was another question I was actually I was thinking of. I've often say. This is uh, this is my quite nerdy analogy. I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but there is. But listen, if I, it, it wouldn't matter if I was I'd be propagandized into Star Wars, whether I like it or not. Generally, <laughs> <laughs> there's this um, idea that you know Anakin Skywalker, when before he becomes Darth Vader, he gets he gets plucked up by. Um, a couple of Jedi's who say, you know, this 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 one's got a gift. He's he will be a feature of the Jedi, and how old the kind of Jedi Council go? He's too old. 
Like he's already been corrupted by darkness and tragedy in their life, in in Anakin's life, and and in society, and that's a risk that they could always turn to the dark side. And I have this feeling that individuals who join the Labour Party relatively late are much more likely to be independent-minded, to not play the game. And to turn to the dark side and, uh, <laughs> and 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 let and let down the machine, I, I I feel like my fault was joining the the late party in my mid twenties and not the age of fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there's, <laughs> I, I feel like there is something um, something in this that that once you go to the very top of those who are delivering leaflets as kids and it's a <laughs> As soon as they could as teenagers, but the it's the ones who sign up later in life that if you're a if you're kind of um, the head of the Labour Party bureaucracy, you've got to part the machine. They're the ones you should Jump be wearing. <laughs> yeah, that's the ones that, you should marry. Middle class rebels, that, sorry, middle aged rebels that are coming along saying, "No, no, we want you to think about this," and they're like, "No," <laughs> questioning God. Um, you know, you may have something in that. No. Two things in terms of that. We in more, you know, Morecambe and Lunsdale, who half of the MPs that came there probably hadn't heard of, and certainly some made it very clear that they didn't know why we were campaigning in such a godforsaken. You know, it's not the Tories who just think that North is desolate. You know, there was many of our own that thought Morecambe and Lunsdale was very desolate, and they did not want to be there, and it was not singing or dancing. You know, uh, a city cabaret. So there were, you know, there were issues as well in terms of our kind of elitism. But, you know, I will always, always, always give props, as we say on the streets, give props to um, Morecambe and Lunsdale Labour Party. They, you know, like you mentioned earlier on, when I was selected as a candidate, it, 90, just below, I think it was 98.9% you know what I mean, uh, uh, white British. That Labour Party, they accepted me as an a campaigner and as an individual and what I brought I they were absolutely you talked about solidarity there was solidarity with 82 year olds out coming every week to campaign with us with 16 year olds sorry 14 you know, the, the 14 year olds that were coming through you know they came out we set up a young labor party I know one of the young women she's still um she's worked she, you know, she didn't agree she works for an MP she came back to me and asked about writing you know in the supporting her and you do what I'm saying. You build relationships, and so that experience was amazing. And you know, like Morecambe was one of those places that got forgotten by the seeds. It's going to be thriving now. We're going to get the Eden of the North there with the Morecambe Bay project, which is you know I knew about then, and I'm so happy for the people that that's kind of been given the green light because it was the people that brought that there. But even the racism was stuck in the old age. You know what I mean? I, towards in the short campaign, we hardly got. I, 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 you know, I didn't experience any kind of racism in your face. That you, uh, you 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 can get, but at one day we had um, somebody had put NF in the dust in the uh, campaign office windows in the last six weeks, and they put NF just you know they they, they you know draw it out. And I'll be honest with you, obviously the first I saw it. I mean, I walked in the morning. I saw it. Like, the first thing I did, I started laughing. I was like the NF. I mean, that's in the seventies. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I know I'm old, but Jesus Christ! You know, I mean, like, come on, like, get with the times. Because at that time, we, you know, we were talking about Combat Eighteen, and you know, um, what was it? 
that's it. You know, it's just like, it's like, oh, we really are stuck in the, but you know, that, that, you know, I, I don't make, I'm not making light to racism at all because, you know, I've experienced it. And actually some of my friends and um, that came out that on the actual day experienced racism, they got told, they, they were told to get off an estate uh, on polling day when they were campaigning in Morecambe. Um, but in the two years that was there, that was the first you know experience that we had. And that that estate was notorious for uh, far right. What was it? Um, you know, the prelude as to Tommy Robinson's, like, you know, the far right campaign were really there. You know, these are poor, poor, poor people. So there was solidarity and I, and I will always love and honour that kind of experience in Morecambe and Newsdale and Morecambe and Newsdale Labour Party. I will always give props to. And I would still go back and campaign for them because they 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 turned up, they showed up and they, in snow, rain, those winds that cut through your bone in Morecambe, you know, they came through. I guess it just is quite a crazy thing looking back that something you did on the whim ended up taking up two years of your life and you know you were a few thousand votes off <laughs> it just completely transforming your life and but then you fast forward another two years and you are out of the Labour Party no longer a member and I, you mentioned briefly that you were campaigning on women's issues particularly women's issues affecting Muslim women and ethnic minorities in your community. But the straw that you'd already had some sections of your community, sections of the Labour Party unhappy with your work. How did that manifest itself? And what were the sort of cultural attitudes in the Labour Party in Manchester that you were working? Because I found, if I'd use the example of my time as a counsellor, we would have a slightly strange relationship in Lewisham as in we would be, for example, overtly and proudly socially liberal. Um, we would have a lot of sense of pride in the idea of Lewisham as a particularly open place, um, a welcoming place, no matter your your gender, your sexuality, your race. However, the local Labour Party knows that particularly in our West African or Caribbean community of Baptist churches, that actually a lot of the local Labour Party's attitudes on sexuality, for example, are not reflected in some of our community and some who are very strong Labour supporters but have very different social attitudes and occasionally those ideas clash but often it was like there was a an unconscious we won't we won't talk about those issues together there's certain there's certain topics where the kind of one community won't talk to another about and that was like you know the trade-off and the mutual kind of continue to take our votes and we won't shove our Social politics down your throat. Trade off. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And and um, we're going to see a lot. We're going to continue to see that. I don't believe it will change. And it's to be honest, it's an old age tactic. If you know, in colonial times, we did it. That's what we did. We traded off. 
we turned a blind eye when we wanted to turn a blind eye and we enforced when we wanted to enforce our morals kind of superiority. It's what we've done for a long, long time. Just because we're on the liberal left, um, which, you know, in terms of the late party, doesn't mean that they don't practice those same kind of colonial, kind of, you know, tactics. It's an effective tactic. It worked and it works. It may be ruthless and it may be dishonest, but you make a calculation. And so, you know, I'm very... Um, what the heck's the word? I'm very, I'm very clear in my experience and my view that these are deliberate choices. I've sat with, again, I, I don't name individuals because I don't think it's fair, um, unless you know there's, unless obviously you've gone through a court case or whatever. But I've sat with very, very senior people. You know, I'm talking about people right down from, you know, the leader's office downwards, in rooms in Portocelli's house or in the House of Commons, or in some grubby community centre, or, or some, you know, um, workman's club, or, and said repeatedly, why are you having segregated meetings? Why is the Labour Party sending representatives to them? Why are you not against Islamic fundamentalism and extremism in the same way that you are with Christian extremism in the, in the America, you know, example? Because they're practising the same things. Getting that, the trade-off for votes will cost you and in the end it will cost you more because you lose your integrity because if you have a set of values which is based on basic human rights about protecting gay people lesbians you know minorities uh, non-believers or believers of faith or people of multiple faith you are not protecting those people when you will bend the rules based on short-term gain and that's what's happening in, and that's what's happening in the labor party historically and, and other political parties, it's not, you know, only just the Labour Party, but it's very, it's a very clear example with the Labour Party because you have such a kind of massive uh, communities that have, uh, particularly faith communities that have alignments. And so, you know, you have these community connections and like within the South Asian experience, you have a broadening system, so you have clan connections. And so they used and exploited those. And I do believe that it is exploitation. But... That is not to say that they're not individuals within those communities, gatekeepers who've benefited from that, and then they've all. So you know, it's a it's a process where two pe two people, two sets of gatekeepers make a deal, and you know, the collateral damage is irrelevant, whether it's women or gay men or gay gay, gay people or lesbians or you know young people who feel disillusioned or young black men or young white men. None of that matters. What matters is we get in power. Yeah, I think that was it. There was an awful lot of pressure put on me when I had discovered that extremist political meetings were being held at the Lewisham Islamic Centre. These were meetings on my cage who were you know, relatively open, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I basically was incredibly conflicted. I, I, I spoke to colleagues about this and said, that, look, this is happening like in our borough um, with a, a mosque and we have very close relationships as a political group. Um, what should we do about it? And even just by raising the question, there was, this is outrageous, but even raising it, um, Shaquille Begg, who's the local imam, you know, um, it was either slanderous just to kind of raise concerns 
he's someone who lost a libel case about 10 years ago um, after he sued the BBC for calling him an extremist, and he lost with the judge saying, no, you are an extremist. Yeah, like, well, uh, you're an extremist. And, and famously had a, was accused of having a, a Jekyll and Hyde personality in which there was a public face with the local politicians, in state work, and a private face within within the mosque with very extremist beliefs. And lots of the group were just saying, no, he's a reformed character, he's changed. I was like, well, if he's a reformed character, then why are things taking place? I'd even said to um, the, the mayor, I've been very strong, that no, 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 I, I, I know Shaquille. Personally, I think he's changed. Um, and I said, well, I need a bit more convincing, I'm afraid. If someone has completely rejected extremism, I would like to see them say, I am going to work with um, the Prevent program and, and show that actually this is really important to uh, combat extreme extremism that I myself was once a part of. I didn't see any of that, and then I saw extremist meetings happening. The reason why I was then torn was on, should I say anything publicly? Um, and I genuinely wasn't sure on whether by, you know, kicking up a stink publicly, would that do, I was very much aware that these political meetings were probably very lowly attended and that there will be much larger numbers who go to the mosque to pray, who, who do not engage in these political meetings. I, or would I cause more issues with community cohesion if I kicked up a stink about these political meetings than the damage for community cohesion that the ideology expels by these small political meetings achieve. You know what I mean? So which, which would be better? Would it be better to me for community cohesion if I kept quiet? Or actually, would it be to try and politically say these beatings are bad and the politics they um, spells is bad. And I just didn't have an answer. And I knew if I spoke, I'd be spoke out, I'd be alone. And in the end, I stayed quiet. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I stayed quiet many a times on this. I, I, I voted um, against my own values a number of times because, you know, in Manchester, you know, we were at one point ninety-five councillors, I think, when I was on. Um, you know, you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna vote against that herd. You are not, you, because if you do, there's a massive cost. As a female, there's a bigger cost, and if you're ethnic, there's a big cost, and if you're poor, there's a bigger cost. So you know, and yes, I had support because I did have, you know, like I said, I've already established that I did have support, and there were there are lots of good people within the Labour Party. But you know, power structures rely on good people keeping silent. So, you know, if you keep silent by your values, because this is the thing. So, you know, yes, I understand we do keep quiet. You know, I've done what you've done. But there comes a point when you have to make a decision based on, you know, I call it, a, you know, a decision of um, conscientious kind of objection or, or um, acceptance. There's a line where you can say, okay, I'll, I'll keep silent. But then there's a line where you cross when you're saying, okay, then actually, is it community cohesion or is it community collusion because i don't know what community cohesion means which community whose cohesion 
if young girls are, are being raped, everybody knows about it or lots of people know about it and we know there's a problem and they're under 16 and their families are chaotic and, you know, they're vulnerable, but actually the people that may be targeting them are, are not a white, you know, Caucasian, uh, you know, background, then do you want to cause problems? You know, do you want to cause problems? Because that, that may be an issue if you raise that. Or if it, those little girls are going to, at five years old, you know, going to the school in East London where they're tripping over these horrendous ghoulish outfits, which have no Islamic basis, but also have no basis in a secular modern society. Whereas the Labour Party, we're still saying that's your choice. We've always, you know, there's a legacy here of, of, again, I go back to kind of that imperialism. I'll be other, the natives, and we're, and again, the Labour Party is still othering the natives, they're still othering the ethnics because it's not their girls, it's not their women, it's not their families, you know, that are, it's a, we had it in forced marriages, I remember in the 90s, you know, everybody, social workers, teachers, nursery workers, God, no, these, you can't stop, you can't tell these people what to do, that's their girls, they're allowed to, you know, that's for their culture. You know, these, we're talking about underage, kidnapping, rape, and blackmail and beatings and uh, murder. I mean, they call them, you know, we're talking about crime, serious crime, a serious, serious kind of extremist behavior, which has been normalized and accepted because the left have just have painted minorities as victims only. And yes, there is a, there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hate and anti-Muslim abuse and it's and you know racism is horrific particularly for African you know Afro-Caribbean racism is horrendous anti-Semitism all of these things are happening in our society all these things are happening but in our in our in our Labour Party but yet for some reason when it comes to particularly South Asians and religious communities within the left they only seen as victims and that they have no agency. The how the, I'd say the left, when broadened that, institutions responded to grooming gang scandal. I think people now look back at that and say, those are particularly disgraceful episodes and actually refusing to have an open discussion about it has actually just helped fuel or given a narrative to the far right. So only one now the far right are, you know, the ones who will kind of use it as a wedge issue to gain support. The reason why I didn't say anything about these political meetings were that I knew that so I I had actually I'd I'd spoken to our prevent officer at the at the council and they said actually, you know, there's nothing in the British government's eyes and in British policy making, there's nothing wrong about these meetings per se. In France, it would be viewed very differently as non nonviolent extremism because ideology that underpins it will so often lead to violent extremism. You can't separate the two, but the British government takes a very different view of actually you can separate Islamism from jihadism. And there is an kind of natural link so actually these these meetings are you know okay like these meetings are you might think they're personally problematic but they are not worthy of intervention from 
prevent or the police, for example. And so, so that was, that was one thing. And then secondly, I just felt, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't immediate harm with these very small political meetings. I felt actually in the long term, the ideology that being espoused what could have could grow and could have long-term damage i just felt like actually at that time me saying anything was actually just going to cause discontent and potentially a feeling that i was attacking the muslim community or the or the the central kind of mosque within lewisham that was, was my case but i knew that's that was how it could have been framed. I just felt at that time it wasn't a battle that I was willing to have. And potentially maybe that was maybe that was cowardice, but I just felt actually I wasn't going to achieve anything by speaking publicly about those meetings. I think um, that's absolutely a judgment call that um, you made and it's the right judgment call for you in you know nobody can tell you it wasn't the right one or tell you it was the wrong one it was a, you had to make the decision that's right for you because you have to live with it and no one has a right to judge you on that not me nor anybody else because like you said you have to weigh that up within the context of your life your livelihood your family your you know your mental physical well-being uh, as well as your you know political environment so you know I really um I think that these kind of, I think that it's many, many people within the uh, party kind of the, the left parties and also pe- many people who are not members of parties who face these these challenges actually. And for the last 30 years, I've spoken to mainly lots of white women working um, in uh, social care of various field, education, nursing, et cetera, who have, con- who have told me over the last three decades, consistent stories, don't want to speak out because somebody, uh, you know, uh, said that they're going to be sent, you know, at a lady school and then they're going to be sent back to Asia, you know, back to you know, Pakistan or Bangladesh or lesser so India to, uh, you know, to have an arranged forced marriage, you know what I mean? But they can't speak out or people, they talk about abuse. You know, we've just had a child sexual abuse inquiry for the first time it looked at is- is- Islamic institutions. You haven't had a peep out of it. We've had no kind of, you know, uh, institutions say, yeah, this is wrong, and we we agree with these statements, and we should be fixing our own houses. You know, just like you had the church scandal. You know, that's it, it's an iceberg in terms of the Islamic institutions. So, I, you know, no one has a right to judge, and we have to make those decisions ourselves. But as a party, yeah, I think as a party, they've made a pact that they can't win. So I was just going to say, I think another there was no scope for preventable the police to just step in it didn't meet that threshold um there was a definite political question about Lewisham council politically our relationship with the mosque and the imam and or whether we should be like whether we should publicly say actually these meetings we don't think they're acceptable you know if if a far-right meeting takes place um, in the council, I think every council would be up in arms. Yes, yeah. It's um, hypocrisy, isn't it? If a count, uh, the imam has been, you know, yeah, you can call him a, um, an extremist without being sued, but actually the mayor will go and shake his hand and and go to community projects and 
uh, ribbon cutting with them. And actually, is that something that we want to be politically condoning? Or if we say, actually, you know, if these the values being espoused in those, these political meetings go against the values that we want to project as a liberal, open, um, democratic borough. Um, and I actually thought, I'm not even going to have that debate with my colleagues because they won't want to hear it. If anything, they'll get quite hostile um, towards me for even having that discussion. Even raising those questions, I'm not going to bother because I know the answer already. And that's it's, it's really sad, is it? This indicative of a party that is so out of touch. But, you know, whether, you know, I'm at the party, so it makes, um, I'm at the party and um, extremely, it always makes me smile because I'm so happy. I get, I get told, I get, I get asked about it. I think as much as I was uh, about the party now as I did when I was in it. But it's really interesting because this is a question that people have to have within the party in terms of they, you know, that's what I'm saying in in terms of a moral, not a moral decision in terms of religious sin, right or wrong, moral in the sense of conscientiousness as a political member. What are you aligning to? Because. You, if you uh, the Labour Party has made a pact with religious minorities, it might be an informal pact, but it's a pact. It's a pact that they cannot win because faith will always come above the party, and we don't do some kind of, uh, like I said, standardised, you know, level of acceptance where we want people to have an understanding of history. We have selected people, or well, the Labour Party has selected people who cannot even speak English as late local councillors. Now, that, that, and the reason I'm bringing this up in, in the same context is that would we accept that from anybody else? And it's those standards that, it's like you said, if the far right were having a meeting in the local town hall, everybody would be up in arms. If an, ex, uh, uh, an Islamic ex, uh, extremist is having the meeting, they may be up in arms behind closed doors, but my God, what you're going to have is, you know, tumbleweed because everyone's going to be so silent. You know, the silence is going to be deafening. So you have, you know, you, you have the, the opposite. But it is, ex- you know, it, Islamic extremism, believing girls should be covered of an extreme point of view. Extremism is the contrary to what is the norm. We are a majority secular democracy. So believing that gay people should have equal rights or should be stoned or killed or women should be stoned or adult for adultery or children should not have sex outside marriage you can't drink you know all of these things they're finding your individual homes but when they are expected of the of everybody within that community and then everybody is expected to bow down to meet those kind of codified rules whether you're of that faith or not then that's where the problem comes in, and this is why that this is a this this is why I'm saying this is a problem that the Labour Party cannot fix now unless they have some really difficult, honest conversations. And you know, I come right back to the start of the conversation where you were talking about difficult conversations, and you know, I, you know, I'm doing the um, quote unquote Muslim problem. Do you know what I mean? You know how many times I've heard that the Muslim problem, and actually, it it is. You know, you can be victimized and you can be aggressors in the same breath. And I think that this kind of, what's the, what's, you know, that this kind of impotency of holding religious extremism to the same standards as we do every other 
religion. And I'm talking about Islam, in particular in the UK, because it's a very UK experience. You know, the, the, the chickens are going to come home to roost and continue to come home to roost as they are, as we see playing out in Leicester, as we see playing out in London, in Manchester, in Birmingham, in, you know, there's many, many places where these issues are being are, are being played out. And, you know, I, I constantly um, I'm told about them. I'm constantly asked to write about them. I am very limited in what I can do. Otherwise, I'll be churning out articles every week. But I will be, you know, cl I'm collating information and writing about them. And as a, but I don't care as a Labour member because I'm not a Labour member, but I care as a citizen of this country. It's become normalised to change and to police our own language when we talk about Islamic extremism because we only want to associate on the left Islamic extremism with terrorism because it, 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 we don't associate with cultural or social codes of behavior if you know you had a, a heightened Catholic presence where people were saying in the, in the Labour Party, and we have got a, a minority Catholic presence in the Labour Party. It, it was a much larger, but it's decreased. But yeah, we still got that. But if you had a, you know, they were much, much more in numbers and they were advocating for no abortions or, and same, you know, uh, the reverse of same sex marriages. I would eat my hat that, that we would be having petitions, op airs, interviews, you know, this is, a, you know, dereliction and it's, you know, of, of our beliefs. And, you know, the, how dare we? You will never get that equivalent analysis or critique so far. And I don't see any evidence of it changing with Islamic extremism because we cannot have that conversation because the there's, there's a number of reasons for that because. And this is what I'm saying, they're Jaina's face, they, this two-faced approach of how we treat religion. Because the, the answer is quite simple. What we say, which is what is consistent with the values, is that when it comes to re religiousosity, that is a private concern. But when it comes to public concerns, we are, you know, we believe in a secular democracy. That is, I believe, the position of the Labour Party, you know, they're, they're, they're irreligious. Now, why is it so difficult for them to do that? Because what happens is, it's difficult for them to do that because at a local level, what happens is somebody, some, you know, people get into power. They may be of a, you know, a religious minority, a Muslim minority, and then they say, well, our girls don't want that or our boys don't want that or our community don't want that. And then we're going to vote in all these people and then they're going to sit on these places and we're going to say, we're going to make this difficult for you, so we're going to put it in your face. But we're still members of your party and we're still going to hold your banner. What are you going to do? You, you bury your head? What you do is bury your head and, say, and run for the hills, don't you? Which is what the Labour Party has done. The problem is the religiosity doesn't change. It intensifies and it intensifies when we're in distress. And my God, is our country in distress right now? You know what I mean? So we've got a real, real, we've got a real challenge within, well, the, the, the people within the, the Labour Party have got a real challenge. And like, I don't believe that they can address it without losing votes first. And that's not what they're not willing to do. I just think some people will have this idea that um, any issues of faith, I've seen this, I've seen this sort of the private sphere, that when matters of faith impact policy outcomes, that's when it becomes a grey area. And often people just feel like, Oh, I'm not going to get involved because 
for example, you know, oh, I'm I'm not um, a Muslim, so I shouldn't speak on Muslim issues, even though the matters of faith and policy implications. I think, um, yes, it, partly it's fear, partly it's ignorance, partly it's indifference. Like I said, it's not our girls, it's not our communities, who cares? These people, these people, that, that phrase, you know, that phrase is a look, it's a, uh, a gesture, it's, uh, you know, it's everything, you know, we don't care. Why do we, why do you care? Because it's not your community that this is being impacted by or being affected by. And so, you know, I think, so I think those three things are key, but also it's, it's political expediency. Why are you going to bite the hand that feeds you when you have not got an alternative? You know, and, and it, it goes into this transactional politics of clan politics. Of course, it's a transaction. I have been told innumerable times, can you get 2,000 votes, Amina? Can you, because I've been told I can get 2,000 votes delivered on the doorstep on this day. And of course, I would never, I won, I would never promise 2,000 votes because I think that it's, it, you know, voting is an issue of consciousness that you should, it should be private between you and, you know, it's like the confession box, you know what I mean? It's between your make and you know what I mean? You carry that vote and if you choose to share it, you do. But secondly, it goes against the belief in democracy. And I think this is where it all comes back down to. If you believe in democracy and the democracy in our country is relatively, you know, we talk about with all this democratic institution, but actually the real democracy from 1928, where everybody, you know, had a, a franchise and a vote, that's only, you know, not even a hundred years old. So really, you know, it's still quite in its infancy. And I still think we're learning how to manage this democracy because if I start promising people's votes, what I'm saying is that they don't need to know about how local decision-making impacts them. It doesn't matter if they care about the, the, they use the bus or not, because what I'll do is I'll just say, yeah, this group is going to do this for you. So you don't worry about the rest. And it's infantiles our citizens, but it also means that we don't take responsibility for the decisions that we make. So I think that's at the heart of it. I think that's why I think it's really, really damaging. I think these brotherly politics that the Labour Party has colluded, endorsed and encouraged, I would say, is really, really dangerous because of the damage it does to, to the relationship between citizen and state. And the reason why I can say this is because I know that they buried it. The, the Labour Party had set up two so-called, I was going to say plastic feminists, which is really unfair. It's not, it's not a term that I actually use. So I don't know why I, I thought it's not a term I use. And actually, I don't, you know, it's, it, I don't think it means anything, but kind of, you know, um, fake feminists who say that they support feminism, that you know, MP, I'm talking about two MPs, one who's actually got a very senior role in the current Labour Party, one who um, supported a man when she was the recipient of an all-women shortlist and decided to support a man in her, you know, passing on the baton. So it's interesting how the feminism kind of, you know, doesn't walk the walk when it when it suits them. But they were they were to head up a report around the brotherly system and ethnic women's experiences within that. I know because I was consulted about it. Uh, I was actually going to run focus groups on it. They got buried. They got buried. We had, you know, the Newsnight report on that. But, you know, there's a reason why we are ignoring the clan politics and unfortunately i think it's deeply cynical 
and deeply transactional. And that's not to say that the, there are not good people doing good things within the party. There are individuals. But if at each turn you say, I'm going to take a blind eye, I'm going to turn a blind eye, I'm too scared or whatever, whatever, this is what the end result's in. I made a conscious decision when I joined the Labour Party and when I was a councillor to keep my friendship group wise and well beyond the Labour Party as well because I didn't want to find myself in a situation where I'd, you know, I felt like I couldn't leave the Labour Party or I couldn't break the whip because my social circle would collapse. Um, I felt like I could, if I kept a distance, if I um, or would associate with people who didn't vote Labour or, you know, whatever, I would be able to be a bit more independent-minded. And I didn't really have to rely on towing the line so strongly. Um, but then, I guess, well, I guess that, that worked out well in some ways, but then I didn't think about actually the Labour Party's culture is very much, you know, the whip is so strong, the towing, the, the support for the leader is so strong, you know, get behind, get behind Jeremy Corbyn, get behind Keir Starmer. And it viewed that there's that, that, that culture as well. And I didn't quite, I was very naive to just how powerful that culture is. Um, and how at least out of line, you are going to be barred. <laughs> like, like I, I was probably yeah. going to be. Yeah. Good and you know what? I don't disagree with that. I, you have to I, have a strong. You know, this is what I'm saying. Those structures are there for a reason. You, you should have a strong whip, but your whip is only as strong as your, as people's intentions, the commitments, the values that that you all agree to. And this is what I'm saying. You can have. A, you, you should have a. You know, you should have the stick, but you've got to have the carrot. And this is the, the, the carrots like uh, disintegrated into dust. Like I don't know where that carrot is. Do you know what I mean? Well, at the, look, at the end of the day, the point it comes back to is, you. I will not get off, I'll get off this horse. It's a serious business. Politics is a serious business and it should be a serious business. It should be, you know, way heavy on, especially members of parliament, but also local members, local councillors, decisions you make because you're affecting people's lives just like doctors, just like nurses, just like, you know, lots of people but who, who have a, like a, you know, an oath, a code of conduct, you know what I mean? And that, yes, you have that, but you're not held to account in the same way. And I think there are some easy wins here. The Labour Party could say, we know that politics has always been a privileged position and being a politician has always mostly been coming people from privileged backgrounds. We are going to, in our next uh, manifesto, say that every MP Anybody, any person who stands in a political position in the Labour Party is going to do maximum three terms. That would get rid of all the dead weight that you've got, um, you know, sitting on their feet, you know, in the green chambers and the red chambers. It would give younger people, younger people, I don't mean uh, people as in, well, literally younger people, but also people less experienced, more opportunities. It would diversify representation. And he would also say that we as a party do not believe that this is a right, it is a privilege, and we're here to serve you. That is a simple, easy win. You don't have to go all out for PR or whatever, but that could just say, as a on principle, we believe that we that this isn't our God-given right. There's MPs that I know that are in the party that are just there, that have gone from M, you know, councillor to MEP to MP to Lord to 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 mayor to MP. 
like come on it's insulting to people's you know it's insulting to people's kind of intelligence but it's also actually what right have you then got to point fingers anywhere else because why are you throwing stones when you live in glass houses why is an mp who's done you know three different you know two different terms in two different places and he's in there you know coming on to the 80s sitting there making decisions um and you know he's been there for 30 years why are they why are you still supporting that and and that's not said that they shouldn't be experienced because actually what you do then is that you have those the mps and they could go into the house of lords because that's the mechanism that we have or could be in positions where they are part of this advisory kind of coalition it is not that we do not have the ideas it's we the the party does not have the will because the privilege elite within the party want to maintain their position i know we've been speaking for a long time but there was something that you've said to me previously when we when we chatted and about um when i broke the whip against um abstaining on Lewisham council's vote to endorse the all parliamentary group for British Muslims definition of Islamophobia. He said something said, Well, I agree with your decision, but I, even I would have done that. And then it made me <laughs> and then What yeah, you're right. Yeah. Actually, you know what? On the Islamophobia one, I don't know if I would have I may that may have been the one that kind of you know, it's you know, it's like the death of a thousand cups, that may have been the one that kind of yeah. you know, that uh, like right, that's it, I'm done. Um, because it's about religion. But I, I think it's incredibly brave. I do think it's incredibly brave of you. Uh, many people think it's incredibly naive or stupid, but it is a courageous position to take. Because I, I just felt maybe system. it was one of those things about, and I think you mentioned about believing your own hype, that actually, you, uh, that, you know, <laughs> I don't think I was naive. I, I just felt that actually to take a stand, it needs someone to go look at all the obvious flaws and holes in this definition. Just see how this definition could be misused, how open and vague the wording is, the impact it could have on free speech. Um, it just needed someone to make those arguments because if everyone took the attitude that it's not really my fight, then it would just pass. It needed someone to st start, and maybe it is believing my own hype that actually anyone would listen to what I have to say, um, and I wouldn't just be quietly <laughs> moved on. Um, maybe, maybe that was what was naive, but I still think fundamentally it was. I thought this was such an important issue. Um, you know, how you define um, what is illegitimate speech and if a local authority gives it institutional credence that's a really powerful thing and actually if you get that wrong you you could really damage free speech within the institution and with wider society if you endorse a definition as flawed as this the, the impact it could have on legitimate speech around Islam and Islamism. These weren't light topics. I felt it was worthy to write my piece, be open and accountable and vote for it. I still think it was the right thing to do, even if it did sort of end what political career I had.
Well, don't worry, these podcasts are going to re- re- resurrect all your uh, all the goals and that, you know, you're going to be in the firing line again <laughs> and um, having me on here is definitely going to put you in the firing line as well. So, you know, from the frying pan into the fire, is it? If it actually, if, if it does get more people reading my, reading the arguments I've put forward and maybe just, just even thinking about the issues around that definition, what, what, that, I guess that's that's a really fundamental thing because I had many colleagues who just thought, like that. That's just you know some who'd say probably I think you've got a point, but actually you know I'm just not going to get in mess because it's politically expedient to ignore it. Um, so I felt I think there's some people who should maybe engage with those arguments, and yes, it's a good thing. Well, and again, you know, these individual decisions that you make when you're in a position of political power are very individual decisions and you do they are individual decisions and like you said you know that if you're making a decision against a, a group you're 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 out that you know that that's a i think that's a common understanding everybody knows that you you go against the group you're out you know they, they cut you out whether you're do, whether they believe you're doing the right thing or not it doesn't matter do you know what i mean so yes it is about a political expediency but also again it comes back down to what do you stand for? And it comes back to that macro decision. You can it may not have an impact in Lucian, it may not have an impact in Manchester, where they have, I believe they've also done it and in many of in Birmingham and many of the places around and around the country where Labour councils are. Um yeah. Yeah. the problem is that that okay, that might not have an impact, but um when you have a we're on fifth generation um in my, it's fifth generation minority communities that have high religiosity within their communities. Those young people that I speak to who are gay, who have boyfriends, who have girlfriends, who go out and drink and have sex and do everything else that young people do and are the rites of passage and that is not, you know, they push the boundaries and, and want to marry who they want and that. They're all still doing it in hiding. And this is the hypocrisy that it all comes down to because actually, intellectual freedom that we have in this country is a very very fragile freedom and it is one that various governments of, of both guises have tried to you know kind of erode and this this slope of uh stopping people from being able to collect to to question a belief which religion is religion is a belief system it's not it is a protected characteristic with a belief system it's not a biology you know you're not born even though Muslims do actually believe, but on a theology point, Muslims do believe that you are born Muslim, but that's, that's a whole different podcast. But the point is, is that if you are, so critical questioning, critical analysis, robust kind of testing our, you know, structures and our, and our democratic institutions, it's something that we should do and institutions, including religious institutions. So we should be questioning them and healthy, open religious institutions welcome that they want that um, the Labour Party is the party that is very quietly, and I think it's very curious. I'm going to be positive. I think it's very curious that they are being very quiet about the fact that they are the campaign that they have got MPs that are sitting quite senior, chatting, you know, chewing away the leader's ear about Islamic kind of uh, belief system, and they are supporting a revision of the Equalities Act. Now, if they want to revise the Equalities Act and bring in a de facto kind of blasphemy law back in, why are that they not standing up and saying that with chest, as we say on the street, 
stand up and say it, then why are you not saying that? Because this is this word, which is does not even mean anything in terms of linguistically, is a a the, 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 the door to keep on pushing to bring back a blasphemy law because we should always be able to question a belief system respectfully yes not with hate no but I the, the hijab is a instrument of oppression that is used to oppress females and female humans I will always defend the woman's right to wear that and I will stand with every woman to the hilt in defending their right to wear out, but you will never stop me saying and knowing and believing that it is an oppressive garment. This is not difficult for the Labour Party to do. They are choosing to turn a blind eye because they think that they can control it. What they don't understand is that you cannot control faith. It's interesting that you brought up control and the idea of controlling someone's faith. The APBG on British Muslims' definition of Islamophobia says that Islamophobia is rooted in racism and is a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. This term Muslimness is wide open for gatekeeping. You know, we've already had examples of Ofsted school inspectors being accused of Islamophobia for questioning the wearing of hijabs by girls at school, for example. Uh, the implication of this is that Muslimness must involve wearing hijabs. Who gets to define Muslimness, gets to define and control faith. It reminds me of what Sir John Jenkins said um, in his report on this definition. He said the definition offers no protection for Muslims like yourself who feel that agencies such as Ofsted are protecting them from an attempt to impose a uniformity from which they do not agree. If Muslimness is defined as wearing the hijab, you could fall foul of this definition. You could be accused of making a critique rooted in racism. How does that make you feel? It's so offensive for many reasons because, again, I understand what's happening. There's a political, there's a lobby group of, you know, of, of religious people within the uh, British Isle. Of all, you know, there's a, of course, there's a Jewish lobby group, there's a Christian lobby group, there's a Muslim lobby group, there's a Hindu lobby group, they're all friends of Labour, blah, 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 Muslim or the Labour. These lobby groups are there, for, you know, to propagate and push their points of view. So we have people, intellectual, that, you know, so called uh, academics, uh, Labour members, community activists, gatekeepers, all these people that got together and decided, okay, and we're going to have this kind of, you know, new definition. Of a word that is, like I said, lingui doesn't make sense linguistically, and that's and I'm saying that as a uh, as a dyslexic. Do you know what I mean? And even I know it doesn't make sense. But also, the fact is that it conflates race and faith, which is never done. Which is take you know, it's textbook taking from um, the Semitic people and the Semitic uh, faith. You know, in terms of Ju Judaism, because of the link between Judaism and uh, Jewish people of their faith of race and so it's starting to emulate that and then thirdly what he's actually saying is you actually can't if you don't like uh, if, if you it, it say that if you don't like the religion then what you're saying you don't like the person which 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 again this is part of the Labour Party's egg they've delivered a, you know a little golden egg for the Labour Party because this is the Labour Party's own fault 
because it's a Labour Party that have conflated race and faith all the time. When I walk into a room, I'm straight away because people, when, you know, my name's uh, uh, perceived to be a Muslim name, or you're a Muslim. When my white friend, equally, you know, just we're walking to room, she's not, she's just a white person as an individual. So we always, we, we label ethnic minorities their religiosity. And now those same ethnic minorities are saying, you know what? Yeah, actually, you're right. Our religion is sacred and you're not allowed to draw, draw images or to uh, challenge this or challenge that. Islam is a relationship between the believer and Allah. There is no structure within Islam. There is no your mandate for any individual to say what another Muslim is. Yes, there are groupings that do that and they're majority or minority. But have the Labour Party suddenly become the theologians? Has everybody suddenly converted to be Islamic kind of, you know, uh, intellectuals? I mean, should I be writing to dear Keir Starmer and say, please, can you tell me what I should be saying in my Friday khutbah? Because, you know, you obviously know more about Islam and uh, it, it, its adherence than anybody else. It's a nonsense. It, it, it's frustrating because I feel like it's insulting everybody's intelligence. And yet we're all sitting here, um, you know, saying, don't say nothing, don't say nothing. I mean, and something as something as profound as this, how do you define, you know, bigotry and what's illegitimate, legitimate speech and um, the, you know, the blending of race religion and the impact this could have on their future kind of blasphemy laws by stealth, you know, really profound things are just being used as a political football by the late party and say, actually, we support this definition, the Tories don't, therefore they're racist. And it's just used as kind of a point scoring thing fundamentally because no one's really examining just okay, we 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 can say we're team we can say we're team this and they're team not. We're on the right side, they're on the wrong side. Um, and it's like... It, it, it cheapens it, but also, you know what? It does real damage because, yes, you know, um, women of faith, women of faith, whether they are Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Orthodox who do wear head coverings and Sikh Orthodox that wear head coverings and some Hindu women, they are visibly more, you know, you, you, you stand out, so they are, they, 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 they're attacked more. Be, uh, women are attacked more in society anyway and if you're poorer and if you're in more deprived areas these are all factors people are you know there's serious, serious issues of discrimination rape but we, we also have real safeguards you know the equality act is 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 you know there's never a kind of a flaw you know there's lots of issues with lots of legislation but it's a really good act it, it, it you know if the police enforced the act and the cps prosecuted based on you know crimes committed on the act then maybe we would never have had this discussion because there would have been none you know this would never arisen because what i'm saying is we have the laws in place we have the powers in place to challenge hate in our society what this is is a desire to return to a blasphemous culture but with a religion that is not christian that is Islam and which is being pushed by certain people within the Labour Party and the Labour Party is giving it cover. And that's, you know what, that's fine if you stand up and say you're giving it cover. But if you're going to espouse that kind of 
ideology of we're good, you know, we're the good people because we we're protecting those poor 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 Muslim women that have no agency and and need saving. You know, it's the it's the um, it's the new imperialism. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're all victims. We have no agency. But those people over there are really really bad. Then don't be surprised when people like you and me and many others say, well, actually, okay, then we want you to then be held to account to that. What do you mean by this? And what does that mean? What does that mean when you know the the somebody in in a shop i remember when i was working in a shop and a, a young girl who was working in there you know, you know not young girl you know a, a woman was working with me and refused to refused to i'd be working there a number of times decided that she'd been told that she couldn't serve alcohol sell alcohol so every time some a customer came with alcohol one of the other people had to jump on the till and it was it, it disrupted the lines it was really unfair everybody was really pissed off about it you know we all objected but yet that was seen to be inclusive. Actually, no, that's not inclusive. What that person is, is, you know, are you going to get rid of all the meat products for the vegan? Do you know what I mean? You know, like, come on. There's a level of, it's about balance, isn't it? And the balance is we've, we've got quite, you know, there's been times in our history when it's been very imbalanced, but there's massive issues of, of you know, financial inequality. There's massive issues of health inequality. There's massive issues about well-being and mental health. You know, there's serious fundamental issues around our place in the world. You know, why you keep on kicking own goals into your kind of, uh, you know, political nest and wanting to spend time, energy, money, campaigning, you know, uh, lenses on issues that are not the issues of the day, but that are being pushed by focus groups or lobby groups. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand it. And you know, they say that there's, there's a saying, sunlight is the best disinfectant. You know, if, you know, if Labour Party wants to push, you know, a, a, a definition of Muslim, anti-Muslimness with this, you know, nonsense uh, definition, then don't be surprised them if people are then going to hold you account to that when things happen and goes wrong. Well, I, I, mean, I did try to shine some light on it and I guess it's one of those things that once you decide that there are, instead of treating everyone equally, you decide that there are gatekeepers of a certain community. Actually, there are always individuals in that community who are not aligned with those gatekeepers who, who end up being incredibly marginalized. Um, I know we've, we've talked lots and lots. I, uh, it was real like pleasure and thank you for your patience and being so keen to have this chat and being so open and candid. Um, I think your impassioned defense of secular ideals is something that I personally really embrace. Um, and it's, I personally feel it's a shame that your voice is no longer in the Labour Party, but hopefully the Labour Party or formal politics, um, your voice will be heard again, and hopefully the Labour Party can change itself so you feel like you can rejoin and make your, what I think are really progressive arguments, heard. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. That's really kind. And I just want to say that, you know... It, Thank you. That's really, really kind of you. It's not about me, honestly. It's about it's about you. It's about me. It's about all of us. It's about us as, as a society. What kind of society do we want to live in? 
And, you know, you said about, you know, it's about don't believe the hype. Yeah, absolutely. You, sh you shouldn't believe it on hype. But obviously you've got to have some conviction and you've got to stand for something because, you know, if you don't, you're just going to blow in the wind for everybody. For each of us as individuals, it is expendable. It is irrelevant whether I'm in the party or not. What we all need to do is fight for a better future and a better country for all of our citizens. And as a political party, as the opposition to the government, that's what the Labour Party should be doing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stepping Out of Line podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, listen without the adverts and hear bonus episodes, sign up to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash steppingoutofline. That's www.patreon.com slash steppingoutofline. If you want to find out more about Amina and what she's up to at the moment, then make sure to check out her Twitter. That's at Amina underscore loan at Amina underscore loan. And if you want to find out more about what Leo's up to, make sure to check out his Twitter as well at Leo underscore FH. That's at Leo underscore FH. Thanks once again for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you listen to the next one.